The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast and Eric presented by Bird Dog Shorts. Dominate summer with an amazing pair of shorts and a free Yeti-style tumbler when you order over at birddogs.com slash pool. That's birddogs.com slash pool. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast. Network. It is currently Saturday, June 24th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one because we do have two matches to go through. It is time to go through the final matches in Halle and in London. So looking forward to doing that. But before we actually get into any of those matches, do want to recap how we did in the lock and dog picks for the semis. Not good. Really just the short answer for there for that ended up going 0-2. Lost the lock with Corda plus one and a half sets at minus 130. Thought we would take a spin there, uh, kind of doubting Alcaraz's recent form on grass. Corda looked dominant early in this event, and I thought that Corda would be pretty live to take a set, maybe even win the match. Not the case. Alcaraz looked very good once again, and Corda looked fine, but unfortunately, Alcaraz looked like he was a top-two player in the world, surface being irrelevant, and Alcaraz beat him. Then on top of that, for the dog, we had Batista Agut Moneyline against Rublev. Really didn't get the line based on how good Batista Agut looked in the event and how Rublev was getting by but not looking that dominant, and then Rublev woke up and played well in this match on Saturday. Won the first set 6-3. Batista Agut did have a lot of chances to win the second set. He was up a break early. Then he gave the break back, but he did have two break points at 4-4. He also had a break point at 3-3. So he had a couple of chances there to go up a break again. Unfortunately, we got boomerang breaked, where he had two chances to break serve at 4-4. Didn't get broken, didn't get the break, and then Rublev immediately broke back or broke him in the following game to win the match. So that's a bit of a heartbreaker there. But once again, I was a bit off with really a lot of the calls in the semis. I did get the Dibinor match right. I thought he would beat Rune, but for the most part, I thought you were going to see a couple of marathon matches, decent amount of three-setters, and that was not the case. In fact, all four matches ended in straight sets. So really not a good day for me, simply put. But it happens, and we'll look to snap back with a sweep here on Sunday. As for my overall takeaways from the matches in general, I thought Bublik looked really good. Uh, he ended up psyching out Zverev for the final break there when he did his encroachment idea for the second serve return just to affect the peripheral vision of his opponent where he kind of stands right behind the service line. And it ended up working out because he ended up doing his classic Approach, then immediately retreat, but try to impact the second serve. We know Zverev isn't a good second server in general, and Bublik hit the passing shot to get the break and to eventually win the match. But overall, Bublik looked very, looked very good. Entertaining match, but Bublik has looked very, very solid in this tournament. And he's got a shot to win the whole thing against Rublev, who I mentioned before looked good against Batista Agut. As for the tournament in London, Diminor ended up beating Rune. Not shocked there. That was the one thing I got right from yesterday, from the Saturday show, where I just thought that Diminor would end up playing uh, well because he's a good grass player. Rune really wasn't that proven on grass, but he was playing well in the event. But Diminor just wore him down, won a couple of long rallies, which decided the match and won the second set in a tiebreaker. So that didn't really surprise me that much. The final match, I guess in theory, didn't surprise me in hindsight, but during the course of the match preview, I did think that Korda had a chance against Alcaraz. I thought that Alcaraz was obviously the more talented player on hard court and on clay, but when it comes to grass, Korda is extremely comfortable on that surface, and Alcaraz was still kind of finding his footing. 
or so I thought. Turns out facing off against uh, Dimitrov was exactly what he needed to get back on track. But he had the war in the first round against Rinderknecht. Then after that, destroyed Leshika, and it's been dominant ever. It's been domination ever since. And Alcaraz will be the hefty favorite in the final against Dimitrov. And I can't really say that I'm surprised by it because of how good he's looked in this event. But Cordes looked good against good competition. The problem was Alcaraz played well, and Corda. Just simply put, isn't as good of a tennis player as Alcaraz, which isn't really saying much because Alcaraz can be the number one player in the world once again if he is able to win the final on Sunday. But at the end of the day, Corda just got outplayed, happens, and we'll look once again to get back on track here on Sunday. But before we actually do that, want to address some tennis news that came out over the past 24 hours. I know we covered most of the news for the tennis week in the last episode, as well as a movie trailer. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. But I do want to mention one piece of news that came out earlier Saturday morning, which involved Nick Kyrgios. And I wanted to discuss his recent decision to skip Mallorca because of knee issues and how that's going to impact him in the, in Wimbledon. So Mallorca was basically his final chance to get some tune-up matches in before Wimbledon. And the fact that his knee issues are still there tells me that he's in serious trouble when it comes to Wimbledon. Now, I'm just going to put it this way. If he decided to skip Wimbledon, I would not be shocked because he's played one match since coming back. He lost to Yibbing on grass, and if you remember watching the highlights or the match itself, you saw Kyrgios really was giving up on a lot of points because he just couldn't move well. The serve was still okay, I guess. I mean, it wasn't as good as you're expecting from Kyrgios, but still. The point is, anytime Yibbing made Kyrgios run around, Kyrgios couldn't do it, and Kyrgios forfeited a lot of points because he just couldn't cover the court. And now that he continues to skip tournaments, it tells me two things. Either one, he's going to skip Wimbledon entirely, and try to fully rehab for the U.S. Open, or B, he's going to show up for Wimbledon, potentially out of shape and really out of form, and he's going to get buried. So a lot of people, when you see Curios's name, knowing that he made the final in Wimbledon last year, looking for any type of long-shot value dark throw to win the tournament, Curios is not going to be the guy. Just simply put, I'm going to tell you right now, if you bet on Curios to win the tournament or to even make a deep run in the tournament, you should probably just donate your money to charity. It's for a better cause. If you want to send it to me instead, I'd appreciate it. You know, maybe you can spend it on groceries, you know, something that's useful for you. But if you spend it on Curios to win the event, you are basically hoping for a tax deduction because he's not going to win anything and you're going to feel like an idiot when it doesn't work out. But the point is, Curios, I will have none of my bankroll on him in Wimbledon. I will probably be fading him in the first round because he's going to still get some market respect for being the defending runner-up. But with one warm-up match and the fact that his knee is still giving him problems, there is no way I'm going to bet on him in Wimbledon. That's just not going to happen. So depending on matchup and if he decides to actually participate in the tournament itself, I'm going to fade him. And that's my plan. I'll probably mention it once again. I'll remind everybody when I do the Wimbledon preview in about a week or two. But still, the point is I wanted to mention that the main news there was the defending runner-up at Wimbledon, continuing to have knee issues, skipping another grass tune-up event. And he does have a couple of quotes here, which I will read off. So reading off one quote from Kyrgios, he said, quote, super disappointed that I cannot compete in Mallorca. I've still got a lot going on with my body at the moment. And with Wimbledon just around the corner, hopefully I will be able to get healthy for that, end quote. So in other words, the hopeful part 
what's what else is he supposed to say? He's not going to come out and say immediately there's no chance I play in Wimbledon. But the fact that he's coming out saying that he's he's upset, he's got a lot going on with his body that does tell me that he's pretty far from being near 100% health. And because of that, I will be fading Kyrgios moving forward in Wimbledon if he does participate. But if he does not participate, I would not be shocked either. So just prepare yourself for Kyrgios potentially going into the week of Wimbledon and potentially withdrawing if his knee doesn't cooperate. But just keep that in mind. Wanted to mention that. I mentioned how Kashanov will be missing Wimbledon as well uh, with a fracture. Last episode, so Kyrgios might join him because that knee issue can once again be a problem. Maybe he'll want to quote-unquote defend his runner-up appear uh, his runner-up performance last year by showing up for the event and playing. If he does, I'm blindly fading him. So just keep that in mind, unless I hear drastic improvements with his health, which I don't see happening. But either way, point is, Kyrgios in non-gray physical form. Wanted to mention that. But now it's time to get into the actual picks here and the previews for the two final matches on Sunday. So going in chronological order, starting off with Hala, which does start at 8 a.m., Eastern time, London will be starting at 8.30, so there's a half-hour time difference there. So you got Bublik taking on Rublev. Uh, Rublev is a favorite at minus 131. Bublik is plus 111. As for the actual spread, Rublev minus one and a half games is minus 105. Bublik plus one and a half games is minus 115. The over-under, 23.5. The over and under are both minus 110. If you want some alt-lines, uh, Rublev minus 2.5 games is plus 126. And if you want to take Rublev to win in straight sets, that's available at plus 180. If you want to take Bublik to win in straight sets for fun, that's at plus 260. And if you want the match to go three sets, you can get that at plus 126. Now, we actually have props. We have aces, double faults, and breaks of serve. So first things first, aces I'm not really tempted by. Rublev at 8.5, the over is plus 100. Maybe, I know Bublik is lengthy, but Rublev has served pretty well in this event, and he does have a pretty powerful first serve, so maybe you can be tempted by that. As for breaks of serve, you're not expecting many. The over-under combined breaks of serve is at 2.5, minus 115 apiece. I am kind of tempted by the over on that one, because I do think you're going to see a bit of a longer match, and if that's going to be the case, then you're going to have a lot of service games to potentially get a break, not to mention one break per set, and it goes three, you still win, or maybe you have one break per player in a set, and suddenly you're in great shape. But the point is, I do think you can see some breaks in this match. Rublev has returned pretty well in this event. Bublik has served well, but we know his double fault issues are still there. His over-under for double faults in this match is 6.5, and, and the over is minus 130. So Bublik might gift away a couple of free points, not to mention the occasional underhand serve and potentially being more of an entertainer than a serious tennis player at times. Maybe he hands over a couple of free points to Rublev, gives Rublev some extra break points, and maybe maybe Rublev's able to get over the finish line and get a break or two. As for Rublev serving, he's been fine, but Bublik has been returning very well. We even saw him sprinkle in his little decoy second serve return bluff which he did used against Verev in a pretty big point there in the second set, where he stands basically right over the service line, and then he retreats, which is either an intimidation tactic or some type of peripheral vision distraction. Maybe both, but it worked out. 
as he was able to hit the passing shot on Zverev to get the break at 5-5 to give him a position to serve for the match, which he ended up doing. But the point is, Bublik has been very aggressive returning, and he has done well with it, and he is lengthy. And Rublev's first serve percentage has not been great throughout this event. So if you expect to see a decent amount of faults on the first serve, maybe Bublik can capitalize on some second serve chances, and maybe you'll end up seeing a couple of breaks here. Bublik, though, to break twice in this match is plus 175. I think that's appealing. Now, I'm not saying it's going to cash, but I do think, once again, Rublev with his first serve percentage being in the high 50s, and you're looking at Rublev having to fight off six break points against Batista Good, for example. He saved five of them. But the point is, there have been opportunities. Guys just have not been able to capitalize. But plus 175 might be quite appealing, especially if you think Bublik has a serious chance to win this match, which I do. So I do think that's kind of interesting, but I am tempted by the over one and a half breaks for Bublik there at plus 175. For the sake of this match, though, I do want to mention the head-to-head. Rublev has done very well in the head-to-head. He is 3-1. and They faced off one time in 2016. Bublik won. I'm tossing that out. That was seven years ago. Doesn't mean anything. So that's going in the garbage. Now, these players have not played against each other since 2020. So once again, these meetings probably don't mean anything, especially since they're all on hard court. And this obviously is on grass, which is Bublik's preferred surface. But they faced off in Rotterdam. Rublev won in straight sets. Faced off in Vienna in 2019, Rublev won in three. And they faced off in Moscow in 2019, Rublev won in three. So you have seen Bublik win a couple of sets. Once again, four years ago, it doesn't mean anything. So the head-to-head doesn't mean much. So I'm not going to really read into it. It's mostly just going to come down to which player I actually have faith in more to uh, potentially get over the finish line. And Rublev did win a Masters 1000 event on clay earlier this year. So, of course, I have more faith in Rublev based on overall just consistency. But Bublik has been really good on grass for pretty much his entire career. He probably should have won Newport last year. But the point is, he is a very solid grass player. And if you look at who he's beaten, he has beaten some good competition. He killed Chorich, beat Struff in three sets. Struff's been really good in the last couple of weeks. And Struff was also a home country guy because that was in Germany. Then beat Sinner. Now, I know Sinner got injured, but he was still up a set and a break. So he was playing well in that event or that match. Then he beats Zverev, and Zverev was playing really well. So I think Bublik's played some really good tennis. As for Rublev, he looked very good against Batista Agut. He looked pretty good against Greek Spore, who I know also won a, a tournament this past weekend, uh, but that did go three, beat Hompfman, and ended up beating Yibbing. But I think it's pretty safe to say that Bublik has looked more dominant against better competition. Once again, Struff has played like a top 20 guy. George is basically a top 30 guy. Sinner's a top 10 guy. And Zverev is top 15, borderline top 10, uh, at least in terms of form. I'd probably put him at 15. He did make the semis of the French Open, for example. So the point is, Bublik has faced off against better competition, and he has looked sharper throughout this event. Now, I'm not going to fully dismiss what Rublev did in the Saturday match, where he beat up on Batista Agut. Then again, looking at ranking, he was pretty fortunate not to face off against Medvedev, and I know Medvedev's done well against Rublev in their careers. So I think I am going to link to Bublik here. I think my favorite play in this match will be the over, though. I think you're going to see a lot of just overall struggle for both guys, and I do think that over two and a half sets at plus 126 is worth a look. If you do want to take Rublev, I would consider taking the first set because historically speaking, Bublik has really not done well against Rublev in the first set. Now, once again, that was a long time ago, 
But Rublev has won each of the first, each of the last three matches, the first set, he has won by at least two games. He won 7-5 in Rotterdam. And the previous two matches, he did win the first set 6-1. We know Bublik can occasionally punt sets when he falls behind early. Maybe the moment will be big or a little bit uh, too big for Bublik initially, and then he'll settle in. But the point is, Rublev has been there before. He's won bigger tournaments, so I do think he might get off to a fast start. But I do think that Bublik is the more comfortable player on grass, and I do think his length can give Rublev problems, along with the first serve percentage. But Bublik has looked good. And I do think that he has value to win this match. I think it is pretty telling once again that Rublev is significantly higher in the ATP rankings uh, act, in the ATP rankings, and yet he's only minus one thirty, give or take. And Bublik is around plus one eleven. It tells me that Bublik is quite alive to win this match. And I do think that once again you might be seeing a bit of a war here. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus one twenty six as my favorite play. I also don't mind the over two and a half breaks of serve combined at minus one fifteen. The number just feels a bit short. I do think with both players having a tendency to hit some unforced errors, you might see some chances. Of course, it might blow up in your face because it's on grass, but I do think that number feels a bit low. I will lean to the over in that one. Bublik over one and a half breaks of serve at plus 175. I do like as a quote-unquote long shot uh, dog play in the match. Uh, But anyway, to move into the other match in London, you have a pretty big favorite here. Alcaraz is minus 375. Diminor is plus 305. As for the spread, Alcaraz minus 4 is minus 108, and Diminor plus 4 is minus 112. If you want the over-under, it's at 21.5. Over is minus 120. Under is even money. If you want to go for the personal games, Diminor is at 10 flat. The over is minus 120. The under is minus 110. Alcaraz over 12.5 is minus 125. Under is minus 105. If you want to go for Alcaraz in straight sets, you can get that at minus 130. And the over-under for sets here is at 2.5, with the over being plus 155. So, simply put here, going through the overall form of both players, Diminors look good. Don't get me wrong. I'm aware of how good he's looked on grass, and I know that he's a good grass court player in general. The problem is Alcaraz might have figured out grass, and Alcaraz is on the verge of being the number one player in the world once again. And we know when Alcaraz is on, virtually nobody can beat him, except Djokovic. We know Djokovic wore him down just mentally because Alcaraz couldn't handle the pressure of facing Djokovic in the French Open, and then he ended up cramping. But still, the point is Alcaraz, we know, is the much more talented player. Diminor is good on grass because he covers the court very well. The problem is he really doesn't have much firepower. So if Alcaraz can cover the court equally to Diminor, or you could argue maybe a little bit better, but for the sake of this, let's say that's relatively even in terms of comparing court coverage. So it's even with regard to movement, and Alcaraz has more firepower. It's going to be difficult for Diminor to actually win this match, just simply put. And you're looking at who he's beaten. He ended up beating Murray, beat Schwartzman, beat Manorino, that was competitive, and beat Rune. So overall, a decent path. You're looking at who Alcaraz has beaten, beat Rinderknecht, which was not easy, beat Leshika, beat Dimitrov, and beat Korda. Somewhat similar level of talent that they faced off against. Now, you could argue Rune is better, obviously, than Korda, and I'm not going to argue with you there. You can argue, though, that Korda is more comfortable on grass. So I think it's kind of close. Dimitrov is also good on grass in general but Alcaraz wore him down. The real problem that I have is the lack of free points that Diminor is going to get on his serve. And I do think that Alcaraz is going to be able to hit a lot of returns in. And because of that, I think Alcaraz will have 
a lot more easy holds throughout this match, and that's going to be the reason why I think Alcaraz wins this match, probably in straight sets. And they faced off in Barcelona last year on clay. It was a war. It went to three sets. Alcaraz won 6-4 in the third. Each of the first two sets went to tie breaks, but that's clay. And, of course, on grass, even though Diminor has been comfortable on grass in his career, I just have too many problems with his serve, and I do think that when you're looking at who Diminor's beaten in his career, he really has had a hard time beating the top, top-tier guys. Not his fault. Everybody's had issues doing that. But still, I just think that Alcaraz is the much better player. He also has an aura about him where, unless you're Djokovic, a lot of people enter the match expecting to lose. For example, Sitsipas. every time he faces off against Alcaraz, you know he's going to throw in the towel about... 20 minutes into the match. But still, the point is, I think that Alcaraz is going to win. So I'm not going to pick any value plays on Diminor. I don't really see it. I think Alcaraz minus one and a half sets is going to be my play here. If Diminor does win a set, I can't say I'd be totally, totally shocked because once again, Alcaraz, I don't know how much of this is a flash in the pan on grass and how much of this is him figuring it out. Kind of like how Nadal was able to figure out grass and win a couple Wimbledons. But still, the point is, I just think Alcaraz has figured something out on this particular court or this particular tournament. And of course, he's the more talented player. So give me Alcaraz to win in straight sets at minus 130. And besides that, I'm going to lean to the under at 22 and a half, but I feel better about the set. But that's going to wrap it up for my actual picks for the final matches here in Halla and London on Sunday. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but... Before I actually do that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is completely changing the game when it comes to shorts as they don't use a stiff restricting con uh, cotton like other regular shorts. Instead, they use a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. On top of that, Bird Dogs also uses an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long and when you do end up ordering your pair of shorts from bird dog you also get a free yeti style tumbler with your order go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that's birddogs.com slash pool for a free yeti style tumbler you won't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you we're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the final matches in Halla and in London. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock for the show, I'm going to go back to the last match that I talked about, which was Alcaraz and Diminor. And I am going to go with Alcaraz to win that match in straight sets. I said it was minus 130, but I want to quickly do some shopping around to make sure that I'm getting the best line available. Uh, once again, this is a live demonstration to show you how quickly and how easy it is to shop around and how important it actually is. It might not seem important in a, a you know case-by-case -case betting or case-by-case -case bet analysis because it's one bet. It's minus 125 compared to minus 130. Who cares? But when you place a lot of bets, and I'm sure a lot of us do, the, that juice adds up. So once again, it is very important to shop your lines. Uh, I can find Alcaraz to win in straight sets at minus 115 on FanDuel. 
So that is what I'm going to take. Give me Alcaraz to win in straight sets, a minus 115. Simply put, he's a better player, and it does seem like he has kind of figured out grass to some degree. Diminor's main weapon on any surfaces is movement because he's one of the fastest players on the tour. But Alcaraz, it's arguably faster. The movement is there for him as well. And unlike Diminor, he has a ton of firepower. So I do expect Alcaraz to bully Diminor around the court, and Alcaraz is also very good at the net. So if he's pushing Diminor around, he might force Diminor to hit a running passing shot, which is not easy, and Alcaraz is very good at volleying. So I think that Alcaraz will be able to hold serve more easily. Diminor is going to struggle a lot when it comes to holding in this match. So I think that's going to be the story here. Give me Alcaraz to win in straight sets at minus 115 on FanDuel. And for my dog in this match, in the actual episode, I am going to go to the Bublik and Rublev match, and I am going to go with the over in this match. I think you're going to see a three-set war here, so I'm going to bet on a three-set war. Currently, you can find the best price available uh, from what I see being plus 126. I'm just going to quickly shop around once again to see if I could find a better line. But for the sake of this, as I pull it up, I will make my case. Once again, I think Rublev's the better player, but I do acknowledge he has faced off against easier competition than Bublik has in this event. Bublik has looked sharp, but we know he can be a head case at times. Both guys can. And Bublik, even though he is a solid player on grass, we do know that he is very capable of blowing up and punting sets on occasion. But I do see, once again getting three sets where each player has a moment. We have seen the final in grass events be relatively long. For example, the two finals last weekend between Tiafo and Struff and Greek Sport and Thompson both went three sets. I think you'll see a bit of a war here, and I do like the over two and a half sets for the value. Most other books have plus 110, so you are getting a good deal at plus 126, and I am going to take it. But for the most part, I don't care who wins. I do lean to Bublik just for the value, but still, the point is I do think you're going to see a war between these guys, and I do think as a result, there is a lot of meat on the bone for the over in sets. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock's going to be Alcaraz to win in straight sets at minus 115 on a FanDuel, and the dog will be Bublik and Rublev over two and a half sets at plus 126. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We'll be back once again next week to go through Mallorca, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, besides that, I do want to go through the schedule for the next couple of weeks because we can. So starting off with the schedule for next week, once again, we have Mallorca. Then you also have another event taking place in uh, Eastbourne, which should be fun. That will be starting about two days after Mallorca. Relatively short event. So I am kind of curious how that's going to play out. I'm trying to see if I even remember that event. But the point is, we do have two ATP 250s to look at, which I'm looking forward to. Then you have Wimbledon, which is going to be starting on July 3rd. Now, Mallorca and the Eastbourne tournament are going to end on the 1st. So we're going to be aiming for probably a July 2nd episode of Wimbledon. If I had to guess, that would, I'd say, be the unofficial date that we're going to be looking at for the Wimbledon episode, or at least the preview and outright episode for Wimbledon. But the schedule itself, I am kind of curious how I'm going to go about doing this, because Mallorca is going to be starting on the 24th, which is uh, Saturday, which was one of the first rounds, etc. So am I going to do two separate episodes for each outright? I might. So maybe I'll do a Mallorca episode 
tomorrow. We'll see. But either way, the point is there are two ATP 250s to go through. I'll be going through both in some capacity, and that is the game plan. But other than that, though, find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts on this network. Find me on the NBA show, the WNBA show, the NFL show, the MLB show. You get the point. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.